0: as well as our workers for Junior Church. We're going to be going in a couple minutes to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So if you want to make your way there to Matthew 1, 18 through 25, I would appreciate that. And then in a little bit, we're going to be going to Galatians chapter uh, 4, verses 4 to 7. So those are the two passages we'll be looking at here in a moment. But today, we begin the Christmas season, or at least some would say, the Christmas season. Now, maybe you've heard Christmas carols for weeks now, maybe you've been sacrilegious and playing them since August, and that's okay in my book, right? You know, I think that's okay. Celebrate the Lord's birth all year round, Uh, but today we begin the Advent season on uh, Sunday mornings in our worship services, and we have a lot going on, and we appreciate that. But I wonder, as you think about this, what is Christmas all about? What is Christmas all about? And Today I want to exhort you to keep Christ in the center of Christmas. Keep Christ in the center of Christmas. Keep Christ in Christmas. As, you know, Christmas is all about Jesus. And I wanted to look for a video clip to share, and we're going to start it here in just a moment. If you want to pull that up in just a moment. This comes from the History Channel, and it's always nice to see, you know, what in the world they say. And they say some uh, correct things here, and it'll help make my case. But let's watch this clip as we talk about this
1: trees exchanging gifts and singing songs about santa claus is what most people think of when they think of christmas but for christians december 25th has a more important significance the holiday honors the birth of jesus christ some 2,000 years ago but we bet you didn't know that in the early years of christianity christians didn't celebrate christmas at all In fact, there is no mention of December 25th in the Bible. Early Christians couldn't even agree on which date Jesus was actually born. It was only in the third century that December 25th became the official celebration of the birth of Jesus, most likely because it coincided with already existing pagan festivals. By the end of the eighth century, Christmas was widely celebrated across Europe. its pagan roots died, For many centuries, people marked the holiday with wild parties, similar to Mardi Gras celebrations. This would lead some religious purists, such as the Puritan settlers of colonial America, to oppose Christmas celebrations. In 1644, the Massachusetts legislature fined anyone who observed Christmas five shillings, which was a lot of money at the time. In fact, Christmas as we know it didn't really begin until the 1800s. That's when Germany's Prince Albert brought his country's longtime tradition of decorating evergreen trees to England after his marriage to Queen Victoria. When an image of the royal family next to their 40-foot Christmas tree was published in American magazines in 1848, the custom caught on in the United States as well. The tradition of sending Christmas cards also started in England around the same time. Giving gifts is a relatively old Christmas tradition, with roots going back many centuries. At first, gift-giving had religious significance, to remind people of the gifts brought to baby Jesus by the three kings. But the industrial revolution and the rise of advertising in the 19th and 20th centuries made Christmas the commercial holiday it is today even as it continues to have religious meaning for Christians. What about the most famous of all Christmas characters, Santa Claus? He's actually based on Saint Nicholas of Myra, a Dutch saint famous for giving gifts, who is known as Claus. In early incarnations, Santa Claus wore many different colors, but after a Coca-Cola ad in the 1930s showed him wearing red and white, the image stuck. From the date of the holiday itself to the traditions associated with it, Christmas has a long and
0: colorful history. We beg you to So thank you for playing that, uh, Ken and Nancy back there in the back, and Billy for taking care of the sound. You know, as we look at Christmas, it does have quite a history, and I want to exhort you to keep Christ in Christmas, and keep Christmas biblical. I wanted to bring objects, but I forgot a thermometer, and I didn't have an extra thermostat, but think about these two objects, a thermometer versus a thermostat. Think about these different objects. So a thermometer, what does a thermometer do? It reads a temperature, right? It measures a temperature. Does a thermometer change? It does, doesn't it? It goes up and down with the temperature. It changes. It just reads a temperature, and so one day in Ohio, it could be negative 10, and the next day, it could be 90, because that's Ohio, right? It changes. It goes up and down with the temperature, right? Well, think about a thermostat now. You know, we have two in the back of the sanctuary. And you all know what thermostats do, because most every Sunday, somebody wants it turned up or down, right? You know, uh, most every day. Thermostats, but thermostats should not change except when we change them right i mean we should mechan- actually purposefully have to say we want it set at 68 or we want it set at 72 and then it sets that temperature our christian beliefs are not to be thermometers our Christian beliefs are not to go up and down, you know, with the times. Our Christian beliefs are not to change ten years from now, you know, to accommodate culture. We don't, we don't do that. Our Christian beliefs are really more like thermostats. They, they get their, um, their settings from the Bible. Our Christian beliefs are like thermostats. They get their settings from the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And they don't change. They're not thermometers. And it is the same with our beliefs, certainly, about Christmas. And so I want to exhort you, keep Christ in Christmas. In growing deep in the Christian life, Charles Swindoll tells a story of a large department store. They carried a special doll at Christmas in the form of a baby Jesus. It was advertised as being unbreakable, washable, and cuddly. It was packaged in straw with a satin crib, plastic surroundings, and appropriate biblical texts added here and there to make the scene complete. The dolls didn't sell. The manager of one of the stores in the department chain panicked. He carried out a last ditch promotion to get rid of the dolls. He brandished a huge sign outside his store that read, Jesus Christ, mark down 50%, get them while you can. Jesus gets discounted every Christmas, some discount him in anger, others in apathy, but the only proper response to God in the human flesh is humble, extravagant devotion and adoration. The only proper response to God in human flesh is humble, extravagant devotion and adoration. So my theme and application today is keep Christ in Christmas. Keep Christ in Christmas. And we'll see in a moment that Christ is the center of Christmas. Christ is the center of Christmas. He has always been the center of Christmas. From the Old Testament through the New Testament, Jesus has always been the center of Christmas. He came at, his, at God's appointed time. And then I'll give you some um, Tangible, real ways to keep Christ at the center. Please turn to Matthew 1, 18 through 25, if you haven't turned there. Turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew being the first book of the, of the New Testament, after Malachi in the Old Testament. Let's read that passage, Matthew 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Christ is the center of Christmas. He is. Today I want to make sure we all understand this. Christmas is about Jesus. And I'm not meaning just in culture. The world can be secular, and it can be uh, pagan and atheistic, or agnostic, or deistic, or New Age, or whatever it wants to be. But for the Christians, from the Christian worldview, Christ is the center of Christmas. From the Bible, we see that Jesus is at the center of Christmas. From the Bible, we see that it's all about Jesus. The New Testament is all about Jesus. The New Testament from Matthew through Revelation is all about Jesus. We see that right here at the beginning of Matthew. But not just the New Testament. The Old Testament is also all about Jesus. Jesus. From Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3 and when the first Messiah prophecy is there in Genesis 3 15. From Genesis all the way through the Malachi in the Old Testament is still all about Jesus. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament looking forward to Jesus' is coming. The Old Testament is all about Jesus. Looking forward to the Messiah. The New Testament is all about Jesus. The birth, death, and life, and resurrection of Jesus. I said that wrong. Birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The New Testament is all about Jesus. Christianity is all about Jesus. Christmas is all about Jesus. I'm not going to walk through the passage from Matthew today except to point out a few things. This is the first book of the New Testament. The very first book of the New Testament. And this is the very first chapter of the very first book of the New Testament. And it's all about Jesus' birth. It begins here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, with the genealogy of Jesus. Going back to the Old Testament, giving the record... The record, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, and it goes on with this genealogy. It's all about Jesus. This book of Matthew followed what we call the 400 years of silence. That means there were 400 years from Malachi through Matthew without a prophet, without a voice from the Lord. It appeared that God was silent, and then we have this chapter in Matthew, and certainly the beginning of Luke's gospel with, with uh, the birth of John the Baptizer, and God is acting. And it's all about the Messiah, it's all about Jesus. Jesus' incarnation. This is about Jesus joining us. This is about Emmanuel, which means God in the flesh, God with us. We needed a Savior, so God provided a Savior. As has been noted by the opening video, Christmas has quite a history as a holiday. But it ought to be and it needs to be for us all about Jesus. It seems as though Jesus' death and resurrection was celebrated very early on in the church. Very early on in church history, they celebrated Jesus' death and resurrection. And soon after, they started celebrating Jesus' birth. I read the following. Very early in his history, the church had an annual observance of the death of Christ and also honored many of the early martyrs on the day of their death. Before the 4th century... Fourth century, that's the 300s, churches in the east, Egypt, Asia Minor, and Antioch observed Epiphany, the manifestation of God to the world, celebrating Christ's baptism, his birth, birth, and the visit of the Magi. We have no clear evidence for exactly when Jesus was born. The term Christmas comes from Christ Mass, and the term Christ Mass did not come about until the Middle Ages. But one source gives insight, it says the following. In the early part of the fourth century, Christians in Rome began to celebrate the birth of Christ. The practice spread widely and rapidly so that most parts of the Christian world observed the new festival by the end of the century. Now the fourth century, that's the 300s. So in the fourth century, the controversy over the nature of Christ, whether he was truly God or a created being, led to an increased emphasis on the doctrine of the Incarnation, the affirmation that the Word became flesh, John 1.14. It is likely that the urgency to proclaim the Incarnation, God in the flesh, was an important factor in the spread of the celebration of Christmas. No evidence remains about the exact date of the birth of Christ. The December 25th date was chosen as much for practical reasons as for theological ones. Throughout the Roman Empire, various festivals were held in conjunction with the winter solstice. In Rome, the Feast of the Unconquerable Sun, that is S-U-N, Sun, celebrated the beginning of the return of the sun, S-U-N. When Christianity became the religion of the empire, the church either had to suppress the festivals or transform them. The winter solstice seemed an appropriate time to celebrate Christ's birth. Thus, the Festival of the Sun, S-U-N, became a Festival of the Sun, S-O-N, the light of the world. As a video earlier shared, Christmas was celebrated, but by the 1600s, the Puritans outlawed it. They outlawed it, because it was no longer about Jesus's birth. It became mainly about partying and drinking and drunkenness and so on. Sound familiar? Isn't it amazing how the devil likes to do that? A Christian holy day, a Christian holiday, celebrating Jesus' birth, and he does everything he can to take away the emphasis from Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus, and Christmas must also be about Jesus. Isn't it amazing that history is even recorded based off of Jesus' birth? Jesus came at God's appointed time. Jesus changed history. Turn to Galatians four four to seven, if you would, if you have your Bibles or your uh, phones. Galatians four four to seven, unless you have a flip phone, can't help you there. Um, Galatians four four to seven, or a rotary phone, but I don't know why you would bring a rotary phone to church. So, unless it's a sermon prop, Galatians four four to seven. I want to show you once again how. All of time was about Jesus and Jesus' birth to save us from our sins. Galatians 4, to 7 reads, "But when the fullness of the time came, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you're our sons, God has sent forth the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba Father!" Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God had a plan. He had a plan, and God still has a plan. He still has a plan. Jesus came at just the right time. That's what that scripture passage is saying. When the fullness of the time came, when time was ripe, God sent Jesus. Do you ever doubt? Don't be afraid to admit and to deal with your doubts. We all have doubts sometimes, but this showed us that God's plan was perfect. God had a perfect plan, and he considered every single detail. God considered every single detail of when he was going to come to earth, and God also considers every detail in your life. You realize that God considers every single detail in your life. Things may surprise you, but they do not surprise God. People might have been surprised when Jesus came into the world at that time. It was no surprise to God. It was planned before the dawn of creation, it was planned before God even created time. God had a plan, He still has a plan. God knows all things. He's omniscient. Trust in God. I encourage you to remember that we can trust in him. Another point about timing is the timing in Judaism. Things were perfect in the physical world for Jesus to come. They were absolutely, completely perfect in the physical world for Jesus to come at that point. They had Roman roads. And using those Roman roads, uh, the apostle Paul and Titus and Timothy and Barnabas and Peter and all the disciples, they could travel most all of the known world quite easily to share the gospel with others most of the world spoke Greek and so they could share the gospel in Greek with most of the known world they had a Roman postal system everything was ripe during the first century for Jesus to come but it was ripe in Judaism as well it was ripe there are many 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 prophecies about the Messiah God had promised to redeem his people God had promised to take care of our sin and at just the right time when things were ripe spiritually Jesus came It is sufficient to say with John Calvin that the time which had been ordained by the providence of God was seasonable and fit. Therefore, the right time for the Son of God to be revealed to the world was for God alone to judge and determine. There was a pluralism of ideas, by the way, also in Rome. A pluralism of ideas in the first century. And people were ready to accept and embrace Christianity. Everything was perfect. All of history hinges on Jesus. Jesus was born of a woman and born under the law to redeem those under the law. That's what Galatians 4, 4 to 5 says. It seems to me that Paul makes a special point that Jesus was born of a woman. Now some of us may think, you don't have to tell us that. <laughs> That's how people come into the world. That's how it happens. That's how it works. That's obvious. However, there are reasons for this. All the way back in Genesis three fifteen, Scripture makes it quite clear that the Messiah would be born of a woman. Scripture makes it clear that the Messiah, the anointed one, would come from a woman's seed. And this emphasizes a virgin birth, which is fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Jesus was the God-man, and there, there had to be a way to unite God with man, and this was the way God chose. People may say, why did God have to become a man? Why did Jesus have to take on flesh? Why does this Why does this matter? Well, we can write a book on that topic, and they've certainly been written. And if you want to buy one, you go for it. But for today, I'll just summarize it. Jesus had to be God to be able to take the penalty for our sins. Only someone who is God can take the full penalty, the eternal penalty, actually, for every human being's sin. Jesus, being God, was able to take the penalty for everyone's sin that has ever lived and ever will live. Jesus took this penalty on the cross, and he paid the whole penalty in less than three days. And that is why Jesus, hanging on the cross, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took the punishment on the cross. He had to be God to do that. He had to be God. It seems as though God turned his back upon his son. You can see that in Mark fifteen thirty four. It was necessary that Jesus be fully human. He had to be fully human. He had to be an example, a representative of obedience. We see parallels between Jesus' temptation and the time of testing of Adam and Eve, and you can read about that in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, as well as Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 3, 7. We see this in Paul's discussion in Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. Jesus had to be a man to be a substitute sacrifice for our sins. We call that the substitutionary atonement. He had to substitute himself in our place. He took our place on the cross. We needed to face that hell. But instead, Jesus, being a human being, could take our place for us, being our substitute. If he wasn't a man, he couldn't have died in our place for our sins. We see writings about that in Hebrews 2, 16-17. He had to be fully man and fully God to be the mediator between God and man. First Timothy two five describes Jesus as the mediator between God and man. The fact that he was a man and endured temptations allows him to sympathize with us more clearly as our high priest. Hebrews two eighteen and four four fifteen through sixteen. Jesus' humanity also provides an example and pattern for our lives. We see that in John chapter two verse six. 1 Peter 2.21. So Jesus had to be fully God and fully man to take care of our sin problem. And this verse says, as this verse says in Galatians 4, Jesus also had to be born under the law. Jesus was born under the, the, the law of Judaism and he lived under the law of Judaism in order to fulfill the law. He was born under the law. And he died under the law. He died under the law, the Jewish law, in order to be our sacrifice. Jesus died to redeem those under the law. To, to, to redeem means to buy back, to buy back. There were 60 million, 60 million slaves in Rome during the first century. And a person could purchase a slave. You could purchase a slave for your own use, or you could purchase a slave and set them free. Jesus bought us out of our our, our slavery to sin, and he set us free. He bought us back, and he set us free. He set us free. Jesus came at just the right time, and he changed history, and it is still changed. Christmas was God's idea, not ours. I'll repeat that. Christmas was God's idea and not ours. Bless you. Who was that? Bless you. Either way. I heard it. Uh, Jesus came at just the right time. It was God's idea. History is his story. God's story. Jesus' story. Not ours. Think for a moment about how history changed. Get this. From the beginning of time, religions had been sacrificing animals to cover their sin. In the Old Testament, Judaism sacrificed animals to take care of their sin. And if you read through the Old Testament, which I encourage all of you to do, you can see how much blood There was during these animal sacrifices. All this blood that all stopped with Jesus. Jesus became our once for all sacrifice for our sins. Though the Old Testament was ultimately about grace, it may not have appeared that way. There were all these laws and no one could keep the law. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 shows us that we have knowledge of sin because of the law. Jesus gave us a completely and obviously grace-based life and a grace-based relationship with God. Everything changed with Jesus. All of history changed with Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. Furthermore, the other religions of the ancient world also sacrificed animals. Animal sacrifice was not only in Judaism. Other religions of the ancient world sacrificed animals and even sacrificed babies. And Christianity has transformed the world with the world. Christianity has transformed the world. Christianity has metamorphosized the world. It has totally changed it. Even in the New Testament, there were animal sacrifices. This all changes with Jesus' death on the cross. Christianity, get this, I love this. Christianity swept across the world and changed culture. Christianity changed the pagan culture of Germany, England, Scotland, and Ireland and many other places. Christianity swept through uh, South America and, and certainly the rest of Europe and Asia and Africa and totally transformed the world. These animal sacrifices and human sacrifices cease because we have one sacrifice for all time in Jesus to make us right with God. Christianity totally and entirely and utterly changed Rome. Jesus is still changing the world. It's all about Jesus. This is why we sing as we did, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. In heaven and nature sing. In heaven and heaven and nature sing. The world can be the way it will be. The world will take any Christian event and make it all about money and materialism and many other things. But for the Christian, this must be about Jesus. For the Christian, we must keep Christ in Christmas. We must keep Jesus at the center of Christmas. Keep Christ at the center. So, how do we keep Christ at the center? I encourage you to have family devotions. If you don't usually do them, take a special time this month and do family devotions. You may realize that you like them and want to keep doing them, which I would encourage you to do anyways. Take time and read the Christmas story with your children, with your grandchildren, and so on. Take time to do that. If your children are raised and out of the house, maybe you can have your children and grandchildren over once a week on Sunday afternoon for Sunday dinner and have a family devotion time. Write like that. That would be wonderful. Read a devotional as a family. Get Today in the Word or Our Daily Bread, and it will likely be focused on Christmas. I know it will. And read that as a family. Give differently. Choose a family mission project. Choose a family mission project. Actually go and serve as a family. In a certain old town, in a certain hometown, there lived a cobbler, Martin Avditch, by name. He lived in a small basement room whose one window looked out onto the street, and all he could see were the feet of people passing by. But since there was hardly a pair of boots that had not been in his hands at one time for repair, Martin recognized each person by his shoes. Day after day, he would work in his shop, watching boots pass by. One day, he found himself consumed with the hope of a dream that he would find the Lord's feet outside his window. Instead, he found a lingering pair of worn boots belonging to an old soldier. Though at first disappointed, Martin realized the old man might be hungry and invited him inside to a warm fire and some tea. He had other visitors that evening, and though sadly none were Christ, he let them in also, sitting down at the end of the day. Martin heard a voice whisper his name as he read the words. I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And as much as you did for the least of these, you did unto me. Choose a family mission project. Christmas is not our birthday. We're celebrating Jesus' birth. Do it with a mission. How awesome that would be. Serve somebody in the name of Jesus this next month. Serve a lot of people in the name of Jesus this next month. Take part in the certain mission giving that Bethel has, but maybe even find your own. I close with something one of my mentors wrote. It's called Seeing Yourself in the Christmas Story by Pastor Rick Sams. Seeing Yourself in the Christmas Story by Pastor Rick Sams. He writes, Storytelling has been a powerful means of passing down history, moral lessons, personal information, and history, as well as helping people to heal and change. Let me challenge you to put yourself in the Christmas story. Put yourself in the Christmas story. Which character do you most relate? The wise men, the wise men. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the East and have come to worship him. That's Matthew chapter two, verses one through two. What or who are you seeking and worshiping right now? What about number two, King Herod? When King Herod heard this, which was the above, what I just read, he was disturbed, Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. Who or what is disturbing you as you reflect on this Christmas story? Number three, the shepherds. When they had seen him, that is Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Luke 2, 17 through 18. Who or what, who or what is amazing you this Christmas season? But well, not Joseph. But after Joseph had considered this, which was that he was going to divorce Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, 18 through 20. Who or what are you afraid of this Christmas season? What about Simeon the priest? Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation. That means the salvation of Israel. Luke 2, 25. Who or what are you waiting for? Who or what are you waiting for this Christmas season? What about Anna? Anna. There was also a prophetess, Anna. She was very old. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That's Luke 2, 36-38. Who or what are you thankful for? Who or what are you looking forward to? As Anna looked forward to Jesus. what about Mary, but Mary treasured these things, the things the angel to- told her. Mary treasured these things in her heart and pondered. Them in her heart. That means she thought long about them. Luke 2.19. She thought long about the birth of Jesus and the things the angel told her. Are you treasuring anyone or anything? Are you thinking long about something or someone? Put yourself in the Christmas story and worship the Lord. There are many Christmas stories, including the classic movie of that title, where the precocious preteen Ralphie is warned about shooting his eye out with a Red rider BB gun. But put yourself in the real Christmas story. The real Christmas story. And see if by doing so, God won't give you a gift of healing, help, or wholeness. Keep Christ in Christmas. May this Christmas season be totally, completely, entirely about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. First and foremost, do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Not just a one-time commitment to know him, but do you have a relationship with Jesus? Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, anyone can come after me, but he's got to deny himself, take up his cross every day and follow. Jesus gives us a totally free gift of salvation. It's grace. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's accepting and trusting in him. But we do have to confess that we are sinners in need of a savior. We do have to believe that he is the one and only savior, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. We do have to commit to him and trust in him. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know that Psalm 66, verse 18, says, If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not hear my prayer. If we are withholding repentance, ignoring repentance, holding on to sin in our heart, condoning it, living in it, we have a broken relationship with Jesus. May this Christmas season be a time of renewal, a time of rededication, a time of living for Jesus. Now a lot of times we hear things like that about cherishing sin, and you think of the major sins. You think of murder, you think of stealing, you think of robbery, you think of sexual infidelity. You excuse the other things. We excuse the other things. What about gossip? Gossip is a sin. But withholding gossip and failing to repent. Jesus told an example about somebody bringing a gift to the altar and realizing he had a sin that hadn't been confessed. And he tells him, leave right then and there. Leave and go make that right. Then come worship the Lord. Because you have a barrier in your worship. May this Christmas season be a time of repentance, of renewal, of reconciliation, of being right with Jesus. Repentance is not a trivial thing. It means to totally turn from your way. It also means going to confess with the one you sinned against, making it right. We're not sins of omission. We're not not spending time with God in devotions and prayer and scripture reading? We're all not serving the local church. Make this Christmas season, as we celebrate Jesus' birthday, a time of renewal and reconciliation of serving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Keep Christ in Christmas. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we keep you in Christmas. May we keep Jesus in Christmas. Lord, may this Christmas season be about you, about centering on you, about focusing on you, about living for you, about making you Lord of our life. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus on the, to, to come and live 33 years, to live sinless, fully human and fully God and die on the cross for our sins and rise again. Jesus, I thank you for coming taking on flesh and blood and coming and living amongst us and dying for us and rising again, living victoriously. Jesus, may we not take that lightly, but may we live for you. May we confess we are sinners in need of a Savior, believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. May we commit our lives to you and trust in you. And if any of us right here has some sin that we're withholding, Jesus, I ask that the Holy Spirit would convict us Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict us of that in a way that we cannot and will not ignore your convictions. Make them so strong that lead to repentance. Because the devil wants us to ignore sin, to trivialize sin, to be irreverent to you. May we revere you, revere you Lord God. And if anyone here, Lord God, has not given their life to you, may today be the day of salvation. Once again, confessing they are a sinner in need of a Savior believing that you are the only Savior, trusting in you and committing to you. Telling you that in a simple prayer such as this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you lived and died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm committing to you and trusting in you. Jesus, help us all to live for you and follow you. We can't do it on our own. We can never do it on our own. We need you, Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit's help and empowerment. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said the prayer of salvation or have questions about the faith, see me. I would love to talk to you. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. Please stand if you're able as Bill leads the closing hymn.